Epic tales of mystery and magic. To accounts of battle and empire. From the verses of ancient poets. To the masterpieces of our times. A light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light. In today's A Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Ling. Today, Man Ling narrates the second part of the 12th chapter, titled The Empress and Mrs. Conga. This chapter is a deep dive into how Empress Dowager Cixi interacts and reacts with the outside world by giving non-Chinese lady visitors rare access to her restricted private courtyards and chambers. It also includes the eye and ear catching description of Cixi's vivid escape from Peking, her strong attitude towards Western missionaries and Christianity, her interpretation of the box arising, and her interest in striving to show the better side of life in her country to the outside world. Enjoy. After we had been gone about seven days, I sent one eunuch back to find out who was still in Peking. She asked this eunuch whether there were foreign soldiers chasing us and whether I was killed. Soon after the Japanese soldiers took her palace and drove her out, she thought she was going to die anyway, and as I was not yet assassinated, she might catch up with the court and go with us. I could not understand how she traveled so fast. One evening, we were staying at a little country house when she came in with her husband, a nice man. She was telling me how much she had missed me and how very anxious she had been all that time to know whether I was safe or not and cried. I refused to listen to what she was saying and told her plainly that I did not believe a word. From that time, she was finished for me. I had a very hard time traveling in a sedan chair from early morning before the sun rose until dark and in the evening had to stop at some country place. I am sure you would pity me, old as I am, that I should have had to suffer in that way. The emperor went all the way in a cart drawn by a mule, also the empress. I went along and was praying to our great ancestors for protection. But the emperor was very quiet and never opened his mouth. One day something happened. It rained so much, and some of the chair carriers ran away. Some of the mules died suddenly. It was very hot, and the rain was pouring down on our heads. Five small eunuchs ran away also because we were obliged to punish them the night before on the count of their bad behavior to the magistrate, who did all he could to make me comfortable. But of course, food was scarce. I heard these eunuchs quarreling with the magistrate, who bowed to the ground, begging them to keep quiet, and promised them everything. I was, of course, very angry. 
traveling under such circumstances, one ought to be satisfied that one was provided for. It took us more than a month before we reached Xi'an. I cannot tell you how fatigued I was, and was of course worrying very much, which made me quite ill for almost a three months. So long as I live, I cannot forget it. We returned to Peking early in the twenty-eighth year of Guangxu, and I had another dreadful feeling when I saw my own palace again. Oh, it was quite changed. A great many valuable ornaments broken or stolen. All the valuable things at the Sea Palace had been taken away, and someone had broken the fingers of my white jade Buddha, to whom I used to worship every day. Several foreigners sat on my throne and had their photos taken. When I was at Xi'an, I was just like being sent into exile. Although the viceroy's yamen was prepared for us, but the building was very old, damp, and unhealthy. The emperor became ill. It would take a long time to tell you everything. I thought I had enough trouble, but this last was the worst. When I have time, I will tell you more about it. I want you to know the absolute truth. Now let us come back to the question of Mrs. Conger's private audience. There must be something special, but I hope that she will not ask for anything, for I hate to refuse her. Can you guess what it is? I told Her Majesty that. There could not be anything special. Besides, Mrs. Congo considered herself to be a person who knew Chinese etiquette very well, and I didn't believe she would ask for anything at all. Her Majesty said, "The only objection I have is that Mrs. Congo always brings one of the missionaries as her interpreter when I have your mother, your sister, and yourself, which I think should." Be sufficient. I don't think it is right for her to do that. Besides, I cannot understand their Chinese very well. I like to see the ladies of the diplomatic body sometimes, but not the missionaries. I will stop that when the opportunity comes. After the regular morning audience was over, Her Majesty laughed and said, "Didn't I tell you yesterday that there must be a reason for asking an audience?" I rather would like to meet the American admiral and his wife. Turning to us, she said, "Be sure and、uh, fix everything up pretty. Change everything in my bedroom, so as not to show them our daily life." We all said, "Ja, yes," but we knew it was going to be a hard task to turn the palace upside down. It was just the night before the appointed audience. We started to work taking off the pink silk curtains from every window and changing them for sky blue, the color she hated. Then we changed the cushions on the chairs to the same color. While we were watching the eunuchs doing the work, several of them came into the room, carrying a large tray full of clocks. 
By this time, Her Majesty had come into the room and ordered us to remove all her white and green jade Buddhas and take some of the jade ornaments away, for those things were sacred and no foreigners should see them, so we replaced them with these clocks instead. We also took away the three embroidered door curtains and changed them for ordinary blue satin ones. I must explain that these three curtains were sacred too. They were embroidered to represent 500 Buddhist deities on old gold setting and had been used by Emperor Tao Kuan. Her Majesty believed that by hanging these curtains at her door, they would guard against evil spirits entering her room. The order was that one of us should remember to place them back again when the audience was over. We fixed every piece of furniture in her bedroom. Her toilet table was the most important thing. She would not let anyone see it, not even the wives of the officials who came in. So, of course, we had to put it in a safe place and lock it up. We changed her bed from pink color into blue. All her furniture was made of sandalwood, also carvings on her bed. This sandalwood, before it was made into furniture, was placed in different temples to be sanctified. So, of course, no foreigner could see it. As we could not take this carving from her bed, we covered it up with embroidered hangings. While we were working, Her Majesty came in and told us not to hurry in her bedroom because the audience the next day would only be for Admiral Rob Lee Evans and his staff, and they would not visit the private rooms. The audience for Mrs. Evans and the other ladies would be the day after. She said it was important to see that the audience hall was fixed up properly. She said, place the only carpet we have here in the hall. I don't like carpets anyway, but it cannot be helped. After we had finished, Her Majesty started to tell us what to wear for the ladies' audience. She said to me, You need not come to the throne tomorrow. There will only be gentlemen. I will get one of the ministers from Waiupu, Bureau of Foreign Affairs. I don't want you to talk to so many strange men. It is not the Manchu custom. These people are all strangers. They might go back to America and tell everybody what you look like. At the same time, Her Majesty gave orders for the Imperial Yellow Gone to be brought in next day for the gentleman's audience. She said that she must dress in her official robe for this occasion. This robe was made of yellow satin embroidered with gold dragons. She wore a necklace composed of 108 pearls, which formed part of this official dress. She said, I don't like to wear this official robe. It is not pretty, but um, I'm afraid I will have to. She said to all of us, you need not dress especially. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. The next morning, Her Majesty got up early and was busier than ever. 
It seemed to me that whenever we had an audience, we always had so much trouble. Something was sure to go wrong and make Her Majesty angry. She said, I want to look nice and be amiable, but these people always make me angry. I know the American Admiral will go home and tell his people about me, and I don't want him to have a wrong impression. It took her almost two hours to dress her hair, and by that time it was too late for her usual morning audience. So she proposed holding that after the foreigners had gone away. She looked at herself in the looking glass with her imperial robe on and told me that she did not like it and asked me whether I thought the foreigners would know that it was an official robe. I look too ugly in yellow. It makes my face look the same color as my robe, she said. I suggested that It was only a private audience. If she wished to dress differently, it would not matter at all. She seemed delighted, and I was afraid lest I had not made a proper suggestion. But anyway, I was too busy to worry. Her Majesty ordered that her different gowns should be brought in, and after looking them over, she selected one embroidered all over with the character Show Long Life, covered with precious stones and pearls. On pale green satin, she tried it on and said that it was becoming to her. So she ordered me to go to the jewel room and get flowers to match for her hair. On one side of the headdress was the character show, and on the other side was a bat. The bat in China is considered to be lucky. Of course, her shoes, handkerchiefs, and everything else were embroidered in the same way. After she was dressed, she smiled and said, I look all right now. We had better go to the audience hall and wait for them, and at the same time, we can play a game of dice. Then, to us all, she said, All of you will stay at the back of the screen during the audience. You can see all right, but I don't wish that you should be seen. The eunuchs had laid the map down on the table and were just going to commence playing dice when one of the high rank eunuchs came into the hall and, kneeling down, said that the American admiral had arrived at the palace gate together with the American minister, ten or twelve people altogether. Her Majesty smiled and said to me, I thought it was just going to be the American minister and the admiral and one or two of his staff. Who can the rest of the people? Be. However, never mind. I will receive them anyway. We helped her to mount her throne upon the dais, fixed her cloth, and handed her the paper containing the speech she was to give. Then we went back of the screen with the young empress. It was very quiet, not a sound anywhere, that we could hear the boots of the visitors as they walked over the stones in the courtyard. We were peeping from behind the screen and could see several of the princes mounting the steps, conducting these people to the hall. The admiral and the American minister came in and stood in a line. They bowed three times to the Empress Dowager. The emperor was also on his throne, sitting at her left hand. His throne was very small, just like an ordinary chair. Her Majesty's speech was simply to welcome the admiral to China. They then came up to the dais and shook hands with their majesties, ascending on one side and retiring down the other. Prince Ching took them into another palace building where they had lunch and the audience was over. 
It was very simple and formal. After the audience was over, Her Majesty said that she could hear us laughing behind the screen and that maybe the people would talk about it and did not like it at all. I told her that it was not myself who laughed. She said, the next time when I have men in audience, you need not come into the audience hall at all. Of course, it is different when I have my own people at the morning audiences. Her Majesty did not go to her bedroom that afternoon. She said she wanted to wait until these people had gone and hear what they had to say. After a couple of hours, Prince Jing came in and reported that they had lunched and that they were very pleased to have seen Her Majesty and had gone away. I must here explain that the Admiral had entered by the left gate of the palace. The middle gate was only used for their majesties with one exception, viz. in the case of anyone presenting credentials. Then they entered by the center gate. The Admiral left by the same gate he had entered. Her Majesty asked Prince Ching whether he had showed them around the palace buildings or not. This was in the summer palace and what they had thought about it. Did they say anything? And were they pleased or not? She said to Prince Ching, You can go now and make the necessary preparations for the ladies' audience next day. That same evening, Her Majesty said to us, You must all dress alike tomorrow and wear your prettiest clothes. These foreign ladies who are coming to the palace may never see us again. And if we don't show them what we have now, we will not have another opportunity. She ordered us all, including the young empress, to wear pale blue, also the secondary wife of the emperor. She said to me, if the ladies ask who the secondary wife is, you can tell them. But if they don't ask, I don't want you to introduce her to them at all. I have to be very careful. These people at the palace here are not used to seeing so many people and they might not have nice manners and the foreigners will laugh at them. Then she said to us again, I always give presents when ladies come to the court, but don't know whether I will give this time or not, for at the last audience I did not give anything at all. Addressing me, she said, You can prepare some pieces of jade in case I need them. Put them in a nice box and have them all ready. Don't bring them to me until I ask for them. She said, We have talked enough now and you can all go to rest. We courtesied goodnight. I was only too glad to go to my own room. The next morning, everything went on very nicely and there was no trouble at all. Her Majesty was well satisfied, for we had all taken great care in fixing ourselves up. She said to me, you never put enough paint on your face. People might take you for a widow. You will have to paint your lips, as that is the custom. I don't need you yet, so go back and put some more paint on. So I went back to my room and painted myself just like the rest of them. But I could not help laughing at seeing myself so changed. By the time I got to her room again, she said, Now you look all right. If you think that powder is expensive, I will buy some for you. She said that with a laugh, for she always liked to tease me. And that was from the 12th chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess De Ling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on A Light on Literature for the third part of the chapter.
wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn/podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese.